Good afternoon. Uh, you come into a place and start a week-long meeting and you think you've got all this time and <laughs> all this time to get some work done and to visit with brethren and the next thing you know it's Sunday afternoon and I want to thank the congregation for the opportunity that you've given me to come and be with you and to be among you. Uh, many gracious words have been expressed on my behalf and my family, and we appreciate that and your prayers for our continued work in the kingdom. And a lot of people say, you know, we have a meeting and you get encouragement and, and built up, and I hope and pray that that's the case from this meeting, but I want you to understand that I leave built up. Um, and encouraged as well and uh, it's great to be reacquainted with some of you that we've known for some time and also to have the opportunity to meet new brothers and sisters in Christ and and to build those bonds and those relationships and uh, I would say if you're ever passing through Gallatin, Texas you really don't ever pass through you have to be on your way to Gallatin uh, but we would certainly appreciate a visit and an opportunity to repay some of the hospitality that you've shared with me this week. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. My wife tells me on a week-long meeting, you get to the last service, you need to kind of be concise and quick in your comments. And I tell her I save my short ones for Sunday afternoon, and, and then I make, out, make myself out to be a liar. So I don't want to tell you it's going to be short this afternoon, but uh, I will be respectful of your time and your attention if you will bear with me this afternoon. We studied this morning the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that changed the apostles' lives. They went from a ragtag bunch of men from all various walks of life and following this man Jesus to being fearful and scared of what might happen to them. And then with the resurrection, you see that change that we spoke about. And, and I want to continue that theme and that change. And what was it that motivated them to get out and to preach the gospel everywhere that they went? And it was because that they knew who God was. And brethren, we know who God is. We know who His Son is. Why aren't we doing the same thing? And my admonition to you this afternoon is just this. Go fish. It's great to come and to have a meeting and to plant some seed, but what are we going to do with the opportunities that the Lord gives us? And I want you to evaluate your life, and I want you to think about the circle of influence that you have in this world and understand and, and actually assess whether you're being the kind of influence that Christ has called you to be or are you just stagnant and unwilling to share the gospel. You see, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, we see Jesus call His first disciples, calling those men to leave everything and to follow after Him. And I want to read that account in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. It says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, He departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, He, became, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zabulon and Nephtalim that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region, a shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets 
and followed him. You know, Matthew doesn't go into a lot of detail, and we're going to see some of the details filled in later on in our study. But Matthew portrays this and talks about this event of Jesus coming and preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he sees these men, he walks by them, and he says, Come and follow me, the call of Christ. And he tells them, From this day forward I will make you fishers of men. Is there any noble, more noble calling than to be a fisher of men? To work in the vineyard of God. To look for opportunities to harvest the seeds that have sprung up and grown because of the efforts of others who have come before and planted and watered. And what a blessing it is to serve in that kingdom today. But these men, Jesus simply said, come and follow me. And the Bible says they straightway left their nets. They dropped it all to follow the Lord. You see, Jesus made him a promise. He said, I have the ability to change who you are. You're fishers and that's your profession. But Jesus understood that through him and their obedience to what it was that he would teach them to obey, they could become something far more valuable. And how valuable do you feel you are to the kingdom today? I want to tell you, you're very valuable. The Lord has placed you in the kingdom for some purpose to do and to fulfill some work. We sang that song, Brother Will led, we'll work till Jesus comes. And I often say, I want to die tired because we've got plenty of time to rest in eternity, don't we? We want to leave everything we have here. Every ounce of energy, every bit of effort, every resource that's in our hands and at our disposal, we need to lay it all on the line to spread the gospel of Christ. That's what these apostles did, and they became the fishers of men that Jesus promised that he would make them. Matthew 16 and verse 24, speaking of discipleship and one that wants to follow after Christ and truly be who it is the Lord wants them to be, he says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That means I no longer come first. What comes first? The call of Christ. That means I lay aside anything that would beset me or discourage me from fulfilling the will that the Lord has for me. And oftentimes we're our worst enemy. We create things that get in our way. We create ideas that keep us from fulfilling the will that God has called us to fulfill. And it's our own fault. We place stumbling blocks in front of ourselves. How much time are you spending trying to spread the gospel of Christ? And my next question is, after you've assessed how much time you're spending doing that in in many different areas and, and ways that you can do that, my next question is, can you do a little bit more? You see, these men were told to what? Deny yourself. Put Him first and and truly follow and take up your cross. Take up the responsibilities that the Lord has laid upon you to teach others about Him. Luke 14 and verse 33 says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That seems harsh, doesn't it? You say, Jesus is commanding. Yeah, He is. But do you understand why? Because he understands the best way to live this life. 
We're demanding of our children, aren't we? We are at our house. We may be too demanding. I have people all y'all are just too hard. Well, they're mine, so I get to decide how hard I can be. But I see the opposite end of that when there's no hardness and no discipline. And I'd rather err on the side of caution. And I tell my boys all the time, I'm not trying to be mean. But I want you to understand there are rules you cannot violate. And when you do, there's consequences. You know, the Lord, that statement that he that forsaketh not all cannot be his disciple. We look at that and say, that's a harsh statement. i got to forsake everything? You bet. Forsake doesn't mean just to put off to the side. Forsake means to turn your back on. And I want to tell you, until you truly forsake sin and the temptations of Satan, you cannot serve God. You have to turn your back on what you once were to embrace what Christ wants you to be. Trevor talked about that at the communion this morning. He's our past, our present, and our future. And the future that he wants to give you is a home eternally with him in heaven. That's the goal. When we set goals for ourselves, what do we do? We work every day to achieve those goals, don't we? If heaven is ultimately the goal that God has placed before us, we better be putting forth our effort to get there and to share that with everybody else. We'll get on the phone to sell makeup. We'll get on the phone to sell lotion and Arbonne and all these other things. You don't even have to sell the gospel. You give it away. And for some reason, we don't want to talk to people about that. The people you work with, the people that you spend the most time around, if we came and we talked to them and said, what do you think of so-and-so? Are they a Christian? Have they ever talked to you about the Lord Jesus Christ? How shameful would it be for those people to say, they've never mentioned Him to me. God may be putting you in that position for that specific purpose. To reach this person that nobody else in here will ever have the opportunity to reach. And what are you doing with that opportunity? What did the apostles do with their opportunities? They had one message everywhere they went. They didn't care if it was a king. They didn't care if it was a lowly beggar. Laid at the gate. They preached Jesus. We can learn to be those kind of fishermen today. Acts 17 and 28 says that He has to take over your whole entire being. I know we've used this verse a couple of different times. But that's the point. Whenever Jesus is your entire being, you can't help but tell others about Him. You can't help but to exemplify the things that He taught. And you can't help but live the way that He called you to live. But that means He has to truly be the center Focus of your life. Now, Galatians 2 and 20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I've died with Christ, but guess what? I'm still alive. But he says, yet not I, but now I have something else. I have Christ living in me. You see, when we die to sin and we obey the gospel, that old man of sin is crucified and we come up a new creature. Having Christ and His Spirit living in us. 
with the opportunity to share that with the world. We ought to sing like we've never sung before. We ought to pray like we would never be able to pray again. And brethren, we ought to be busy about the Lord's work like it's the last opportunity we may have to save a soul. And when we feel that kind of passion and burn for the will and the word and the gospel of Christ, nothing will stop us. Craig and I were talking about the resurrection the other night and said, you look at that change in those apostles and those disciples when they saw the resurrected Christ and said, if we could just get everybody (laughs) that we talked to to buy into that, the church would be a force, wouldn't it? You're well on your way here. I think the last time I was here was nine years ago. And you look at the change that's taken place in nine years. Praise God for that. But also acknowledge that men and women have made a dedicated effort to spread the gospel. And some of you are here today because of that effort. What are you going to do with it? I said earlier that I'm a Christian today because there were elders at La Prada that came and visited and sat down and studied with me. And studied with me and beat it into my head. But you know, it wasn't any of those studies that those men did that converted me. But it was a young lady that cared about me. That said, I know you know this. You're an intelligent young man. She said she wouldn't date me if I wasn't. And she said, I care about you. I care about your soul. And she studied with me. It was about a week later, I obeyed the gospel. Those elders planted seed and taught me. And, but you know, all it took was for one young lady to sit there and say, I love you and I care about you. And I don't want you to lose your soul. Can you do that? How serious are we about the gospel? Paul said it's the power of God unto salvation. We've got the power in our hands. I want to tell you, it doesn't do a lick of good if we don't get out and show it to other people. Go fish. Matthew 4 and verse 19, he told the disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, all they had to do was get in line behind the Savior. All they had to do was just go. That's how simple it was. Because who had the power to change them? It didn't matter how long they would have studied. It didn't how many sermons they had put together. Jesus was the one that was going to make the difference. And today we talk about how is it that we train and how is it... First of all, we follow Jesus. Is it important to study? Yeah. To develop? Yeah. To train? Yes. But until you get in line behind Jesus Christ and follow Him, you can study, you can train, and you won't be effective in the ministry. Those apostles got in line. And they said, we're willing to give up everything we've got just to follow this man. That's why they were effective fishermen. John 15 and 10, Jesus gives us a command. He says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. 
even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Do you want to abide in the love of God? Certainly we do. Then obey His commandments. Get in line behind Him. Follow His example and do what it is that Jesus did. Jesus went about preaching a simple message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He sent His apostles out to preach a simple message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then after He was crucified and buried and resurrected, He sent them out with another message. (laughs) The kingdom's here. Repent and be baptized and have your sins washed away. Receive the forgiveness of God. And we sit here and try to hide it. We sit here and we're ashamed of it. We sit here and say, well, I know I need to be a member of the church, but I don't want everybody knowing what I'll do. Was that the response that those men gave to Jesus? They said, this is all we're about. I'm sorry, I have no other sermon to preach to you than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We teach a lot of lessons, we preach a lot of different things and ideas, but if we forget the essential message of Christ, it's all for nothing. And we've got that message. Every single one of you that's here that's obeyed the gospel has that message within your heart. And I want to tell you, you may not be able to open a Bible to any specific verses in order, but you can talk to people about your relationship with God. And I want to tell you, you've got enough equipped men in this congregation that you can say, I know somebody who would love to sit down and open the book with you. And I'll be there with you. I want to tell you, that's effective evangelism. Matthew 28 and verse 19, we see the Great Commission. The first word is go. It means put forth effort. Get out there and get after what it is God has called you to do. And he says, go ye therefore and what? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. You know, one of the reasons the apostles were so bold in their teaching of the gospel is they knew Jesus was still with them. He was alive and He was in heaven and He was watching them and He had promised them He would never leave them. And that promise is now carried over to you and I. So what do we have to fear? Nothing. There's nothing this world, there's nothing our government, there's nothing that our friends and neighbors and people that are around us can do to us. And we have to be willing to take the risk to share the gospel with them. And if they reject it, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected the call of God. But you have done that which was your duty to do. I'll challenge you today that over the next 12 months you work to convert one person in some way. You don't have to be the one that sits down and does the study, but you talk to them about your relationship with Christ. And you get them to a person that feels comfortable studying the scriptures with them. Can you do that with one person? It doesn't sound so daunting, does it? The apostles were charged with going into all the world. And I sit there and I see that and I'm like, we can't even get outside of Gallatin, Texas. 
and Rusk, Texas in the area we're in, Amarillo. You think Amarillo is a big place? How do you think the apostles felt when they said, go into all the world? Okay, Lord, (laughs) if you say so, we'll do it. So can you, within your circle of influence, work to convert one person? Do you understand what that would do for this congregation? You'd start building a new building. (laughs) Or knocking out walls in this one. You'd double in size in one year. Just one person. I think we all know a lot more people than that. You just got to go fish. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15 is direction for all Christians. He says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I used to read this verse and it intimidated me. Man, any question anybody asks me, I've got to have an answer for. And then somebody finally came along and said, where does it say you've got to answer every question they ever ask you? And I said, well, I guess it really doesn't. He said, all it says is you've got to answer the question of why you have hope. <laughs> why do you have hope? Because I have a Savior. Who is He? He's Jesus Christ. What did He do? Came and walked perfectly, sacrificed Himself on the cross, and was resurrected the third day. That's why you have hope, isn't it? Can you share that with other people? I don't see the five-part study anywhere in the Scriptures. I use the five-part study. Use a three-part study. Use a one-part study. All depends on the person. The point is, we can all talk about our Savior. And the more we talk to others about our Savior, the more opportunities you're going to have to have a hand in their coming to Christ. Is there any greater feeling than to know that you planted a seed that one day grew into a strong Christian? How rewarding is that? And to know that the Lord sees that work and sees that effort and He blesses it. It's time to go fish. You know, we went fishing last year in July. We took a camping trip, just fathers and sons. And I took my two older boys, and we went down to central Texas and had a camp out. You know what I did to prepare for that camp out? I went and bought a tent. I went and bought air mattresses. After we got there and it was 108 degrees, I went to Walmart and bought fans and extension cords. I took the boys to the store and let them pick out their own rod and reel. We went and bought bait. This was our first big fishing trip. They were excited. We invested money. We invested time. And then guess what we did? We went and put our hooks in the water. And we sat there and we sat there and we sat there. Didn't catch nothing. Got up early the next morning. What did we do? Went back, put our hook in the water. And all of a sudden, Ezra, my middle son, who's five now, he said, Daddy, something. And I ran over there and said, oh, you got a fish. Okay, get that hook set. All right, now reel it in. And I mean, he's tugging, tugging. And he pulled his up first fish. This big. 
And you know how proud he was? He held that fish up and we took pictures, sent them back to mom and grandma and grandpa and said, Ezra caught his first fish. You know, it was worth every dime I spent on all that equipment. It was worth all the time we had invested to go and to have that trip to see him catch one fish. Brethren, it's worth every dime of your money. It's worth every minute of your day if you save one soul. Can you do that? The things we're passionate about are the things we devote time to do. The Lord calls us to be passionate about His gospel. It ought to ooze from our being. And it ought to be obvious to the world around us who we are and who we serve. Go to Luke chapter 5 in your Bibles. We read the account in Matthew 4 and we think, well, Jesus was just kind of casually walking by preaching. And he says, okay, boys, come on. And they just dropped everything and followed him. Luke gives us a little more, we could say, insight to the events of that day. And in Luke 5, beginning in verse 1, we'll read in his account. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Genesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned... <laughs> in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men." What convinced them to follow after him? He performed a miracle. He said, go lay out your nets. And they said, we've done that. In fact, we've done that all night. Didn't catch a thing. But never. wouldn't it have been better if he had just said yes, sir, and gone and done it? <laughs> but instead, he tried to argue a little bit. Well, we've done that, Lord, but since you're Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll go do it. So he went out and did it, and what happened? Caught so many his net broke back into the next ship, and they filled both ships with fish, and then Peter said what? I'm not worthy. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You see, it was more than just Jesus casually walking by saying, hey, come follow me. He showed them who he was by that miracle. And I ask you today, what have you seen from the works of Christ? Have you seen change in your own life? Have you seen Jesus with the ability through His Word to teach you a better way to live and bless you abundantly in this life? 
That's why they wanted to be fishers of men. Because they knew what Jesus could do. We know what Jesus can do. We ought to want to go fish. It's time to let out your nets. It's time to get your hooks in the water. Because there's fish out there waiting to be caught and brought to the Lord. And you need to be the one to do it. You sit there and say, well, I can't do a lot. I don't have a lot to offer. I don't know what I can do. Look at John chapter 6. And I'm going to close with this thought. John chapter 6, the first nine verses. It says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh, and Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? I can't do it. I don't have much to offer. I don't know what to do. That little boy gave all he had. Five loaves and two fish. And what did the Lord do with it? Fed a multitude. Do what you can do. And quit worrying about what you think you can't do. Because when you do what you know you can do, the Lord will do the rest. So I ask you today, what can you do for the Lord? He wants you to go fish and go fish for men. People often talk about the time that we are blessed to be able to devote to doing the Lord's work and spreading the gospel. And I want to tell you, there's no more rewarding work that I could ever do. We sit there across the table from people stuck in sin, who think there's no way out, and all we do is open up the Word of God, and we watch the Word work on people. And we see a change. And there's nothing more rewarding than sitting across from that table and seeing the light bulb come on and them say, I've messed up. I don't know for sure everything I need to do, but I know I need Jesus. And brethren, all of us need to share in that work. God bless you. I pray for your work here, that it continue to flourish and grow. And I know as long as you plant and water, God will be faithful to give the increase. But it's time to go fish. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian... You know in your heart that you've never obeyed the Lord. You've never obeyed the gospel that is so precious and powerful.
that can save your soul, we want you to do that before this meeting closes. And if you are here and you have obeyed that gospel, but you haven't been as fervent in your service as you feel you need to be, now's the time. Now's the time to come to the Lord and rededicate your life to Him. He'll do the hard part. And all He says is come unto Him. And if you need prayer, you need counsel, you have need for anything in your life spiritually, please come as we stand and sing.